when you go to the, the store and you, you you get your food and you get to have the same diet all year round. Uh, I'm not saying like that's not that's not fun uh, and you know inconvenient, but it you know it disconnects you from the land. And I think if people are connected to the land, then they're more aware. They 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 can. They understand their dependencies, the interdependencies, their vulnerabilities, um, and that's why I, I love getting more people to grow food. Because if you grow food, you start to slowly develop this relationship with land. Hi, everyone! Welcome to Sprouting Conversations, the podcast for youth from youth. Before beginning this episode, I would just like to introduce myself because this is my first time on the podcast. My name is Paula, and I am a settler with Danish ancestry living on Lekwungen territory. I grew up in Calgary on Treaty 7 land, specifically in the territory of the Blackfoot and Stony Nakoda nations. I am a recent graduate from the University of Victoria with a degree in political science. I am currently a youth worker for Beecher Bay First Nation, which is where I first heard about the Youth Food Network and how I got involved in the Youth Food Justice Group. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Sprouting Conversations, a podcast brought to you by the Youth Food Network. My name is Paula. I'm a member of the Youth Food Justice Group, and I'm here today on unceded Lekwungen territory with Eric and Nelson from Curbside Farms to discuss their organization in the context of food justice and food localization in the place that is commonly referred to as Victoria, B.C., um, first, I would like to thank Erica Nelson for being here today, as well as a big thank you to my lovely pal Hallie for her help as our technological support person today. Um, so, Erica Nelson, it would be great if you could start off by introducing yourselves in whatever way feels good to you. Uh, yeah, so my name is Eric. Uh, I'm just finishing up my last semester of school. Um, and yeah, I'm really interested in, you know, decommercializing, localizing and democratizing our food system. Um, so that's, that's what I'm passionate about. That's what I want to do with, uh, my degree, I guess, once I'm done. Uh, and I'm Nelson. I'm, I'm doing philosophy at UVic and, uh, I do a lot of, uh, research in systems design and, and de- development. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. Thank you for that introduction. Um, now here's sort of a silly icebreaker question related to food. Um, what is the most interesting thing you guys have ever eaten? <laughs> Shall I go first? Go ahead. All right. Um, I was thinking about this uh, and I think, uh, oh, what's it called? Humic acid. You know what oh. humic acid is? No. It's <laughs> you can technically eat it. Uh, I don't eat it a lot. I only had it like once just to try it because apparently you can. It's um it's it's actually a really significant component of humus, you know, in soil. Um oh. so it helps promote uh, root growth in plants. And uh, uh so I, there's this this guy that uh, sells little bags of humus that you can add to your your garden and it basically adds like 2 years of 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 soil growth. 
uh, to your your garden just by you know dusting it all over the place. So I tried that once. Huh, that's really cool. Yeah, I was thinking maybe squid, but then I I remembered that one time like I was having barbecue and like in Brazil we have like this like all we can eat barbecue and like. They said they offer like some crocodile. I was like, hmm, okay, maybe we could try some crocodile. So maybe that's probably <laughs> very cool. That is super interesting. <laughs> I would say the most interesting thing that I've ever eaten. Um, I was in Beijing and I tried a scorpion. Wow, how was yeah. that? Um, it was super deep fried, so it was very like crispy. Um, didn't have much of a taste to it, really. Okay, yeah, I've yeah. heard about people eating spiders and stuff, so that that sounds kind of like on brand. Yes, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, next question: How would you describe your relationship to food? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I think of food as sort of the base of everything. Um, you know, it's the energy that keeps us alive. And, you know, a lot of politics has been about food or food is the, the basis of a lot of politics, you know, uh, power struggles, because you need food to live, you know, every, uh, society needs food. Um, so I think of food is kind of, it's kind of the thing, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of everything in a sense, or at least the basis to everything. Yeah, I think a lot of it also changes once you actually like grow your own food mm-hmm. and like you go through the entire process and it just it, it kind of feels different. Yeah, you you get that sort of uh, almost like an intimacy or reciprocity with uh, the soil and and the plants, and it's a I guess sort of like a, a spiritual component that you you can't get just by purchasing food. Um, yeah. I love that answer. That's so great. And I definitely relate. I've started growing my own food um, during the pandemic and uh, yeah, completely relate to that. My relationship with food has completely changed. Mm. And like you said, more of that intimate connection and sort of feeling um, ownership over the food that you're eating is really special. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So just jumping right into talking about your organization, Curbside Farms. Um, can you provide us with a little bit of an overview? I'm wondering um, what kind of organization it is, what started it all, and what is your general vision statement? Yeah, so uh, we're currently working on uh, finishing up the incorporation. And right now, we're hoping to incorporate as something called a uh, community service cooperative. So it is both a cooperative and a nonprofit. Um our mission, uh, so it's, it's a little bit complicated, but Curbside Farms is not actually going to be the name of the organization. It's part of it's one one project in our larger organization, mm. but it's our it's our first sort of flagship project. The mission for Curbside Farms is to uh, help people grow more food in the city, uh, and also develop a sense of community uh, among people that grow food in the city uh, to help promote that growth and to help promote community relations um, surrounding that food and that relationship to land. Um, in terms of uh, the vision, uh, I mean, it's a, little, it's a little bit lofty perhaps, but we want to, we think that, as I mentioned, you know, food is the basis of everything. Um, we want to create integrated cooperatives. So basically what we're trying to build is a, a, a platform cooperative 
Um, I don't know how to best describe that, but uh, Nelson could if, if you're interested. Um, actually, do you want to briefly describe what a platform cooperative is? Well, I like if you think about a, a platform, like uh, for example, Facebook or Twitter, basically there are members in it. And a platform co-op is like um, a cooperative where the members can can cooperate like in online. Mm. Yeah. So uh, you know, incorporating all sorts of systems like energy, energy systems, uh, manufacturing, uh, food. I mean, that, that's that's all like you know further down the line. But our our, our core project right now is is growing more food in the city and cooperatizing so to help people grow that food collectively. Um, but yeah, to the, the greater vision of creating a, a regenerative, um, holistic sort of socioeconomic structure that people can rely on and build through their actions. Yeah, it really comes down to like uh, rethinking the way uh, we interact with each other, like our relationships with each other and also like our interactions and relationships with our environment. Uh, rethinking how that works and making it healthier and more sustainable. Yeah, so uh, just for like an example, right now, a lot of what we have, I mean, we haven't been doing this recently because it, we've all been busy in school and it, it isn't a great season, but, um, you know, one thing is building beds uh, through recycled pallets. Uh, that's what we're probably best known for, even though that's mm. not really everything that we, we're doing and want to be doing. Um, but, you know, building affordable uh, raised beds We've been selling them for $25. We're probably going to have to sell them for a little bit more this coming, this next season, just because of all the costs and whatnot. Um, but yeah, so getting, building people's, building infrastructure for people to do that. And we're also, um, our, we got Nelson working on it and as well as uh, our good friend Ian uh, building our, our website uh, to help facilitate the cooperation, the trading of foods, the collective purchasing of products, uh, you know, communication events, all that sort of stuff. Great. That sounds amazing. Um, I guess just following from that sort of description, I'm wondering who has access to your organization um, and sort of what you've just described. Like, are these raised beds open to everyone in the community? Um, Is there anything in place that maybe like, uh, helps those who might not be able to afford them or like, do you have a target audience in mind? Um, I mean, yes and no. Like I think really we want to approach everyone, anyone and everyone and help them grow food. Uh, we've helped a lot of, um, you know, middle-aged women, uh, has been our primary people that have, that we've worked with just because of interest. Um, but we also want to help people with, uh, disabilities um, people who live in apartment buildings that don't necessarily have access to land directly on their their property, um, yeah, we it, it's it's for everyone, essentially. Yeah, really. In the first phase, too, like uh, our focus is like trying to just get started. Uh, but as like we grow, we want to be able to expand, like uh, and like make it more accessible to everyone. Like once we have enough funding and 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 more resources to to work with mm-hmm. um and also eventually like trying to produce food locally like for everyone like all the food that, that we need for, for for the city which which requires like a much larger organization than just like um, putting beds in people's <laughs> backyards <laughs> yeah 
but in terms of uh, like affordability, uh, when I say we're gonna, we, we're probably gonna be increasing the price of the beds. That's in part because the most of the people that have been have been interested in buying beds from us are people that can afford to pay a little bit more. But if there were people that could not afford to pay more, then we would of course give them a different price. Um, mm. I don't think that's unfair. I think that makes sense. Uh, you know, if someone can pay the money, they should pay the money so that they pay it so that for others who can't, they can still get the same access to the same, the same quality stuff. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, so you mentioned that you're a nonprofit organization. I'm wondering, first of all, is there a particular reason why you made that decision? And also, um, where does the majority of your funds uh, come from? And it seems like so far what you guys have been talking about is maybe um, one of the challenges you face is sort of a lack of funds. And if you have any plans going forward of how to like uh, remedy those kind of issues. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, speaking to the, the funds, uh, the main way that we've gotten funds um, is through the, the sale of uh, beds. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we've also gotten donations, um, but in the future, once we once we're incorporated, we intend on also getting um, like membership dues. Uh, not like tons of money. We're hoping to make it pretty affordable, like you know, twenty bucks a year, thirty bucks a year, something like that. Why we chose to be nonprofit? Um, I think we kind of wanted to. Uh, I don't know what the right. Well, our goal was really not to make profit. Our goal mm-hmm. is to like provide food for everyone and provide healthy mm-hmm. food for everyone. So. It's a profit. It's not really what we have in mind. Yeah, we don't want to. It's not about making money. It's about helping people. And, you know, even though I know there are some limitations that can be put on an organization if they're nonprofit, um, I do hope that the organization will eventually be able to continue on without, you know, my our constant uh, guidance as it is a cooperative and it can, you know, the members can, can run it on its own. I mean, we'd be members as well. But mm. by making it a nonprofit, we also, for the future, protect it from potentially being something that we don't want it to be. Um, because, yeah, the, the, the goal is to help people. Mm. Great. Um, and what has the general response from the community been? Like, it sounds like it's been very positive, but I'm wondering, have you experienced any pushback or challenges in that regard? Um. Yeah, it's been fairly positive, I'd say. Um, some people don't like the beds because they're made out of recycled wood and they don't look as you know pristine as uh, a nice finished you know store-bought wood would look. Um, but that's more like neighbors complaining to neighbors. Um, and I, I, I don't think they're ugly beds. I think they look nice. <laughs> but perhaps I'm biased. Um, well, we also like re- we are recycling the pallets, so there is also that aspect of it. Yeah, no, I think it's been relatively, relatively positive. Uh, the one problem is uh, we, we started making, we weren't going to actually launch as soon as we, we were not fully launched anyways. Um, but we, because of uh, COVID, we decided to start helping people uh, make, you know, spaces to grow food, either through uh, raised beds or even before we started making raised beds, just helping people turn their lawns into, um, you know, vegetable gardens uh, just mm-hmm. you know, for free, just, I mean, we had nothing to do, so we got brought some shovels and said, "Hey, does anyone want to help?" Uh, you know, setting up a garden. You kind of covered like exactly what I was going to ask you next, which was just around um, 
any major changes that have occurred due to COVID and like perhaps maybe any like positive um, changes that have resulted from the pandemic? Okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, as I was saying, we we're making more, you know, helping people grow more food because of COVID. Um, and it's also really nice to see that um, because of COVID, especially, you know, it was, you know, it was spring sort of you know, springtime originally, um, I saw a lot of people starting gardens, a lot of people, because they, they had time, you know, because they, they couldn't go to work, they had, they had to do something. And so they, you know, a lot of people decided, oh, there's this project I've been putting off, maybe I should do it. Um, so I think I've seen so many more, you know, curbside gardens coming up uh, in the past year, which is really, you know, really encouraging. Um, the one problem that I found is, uh, I mean, it's not really, a, it's, it's a problem, but it's, it shouldn't be a problem, but it is. Um, <clears throat> when we started making beds, at, least, at first it was like pretty slow, you know, because we didn't have a, a huge reach. And then uh, a couple of news stations did some stories and a whole lot of people <laughs> wanted, <laughs> wanted beds. And we're like, well, there's like five of us, you know, building beds once or twice a week. You know, it, it was a huge demand and we couldn't really keep up with it. So that's, uh, and we can, we can talk about this in a, in a little bit if you're, if you want. Um, that's one of the problems we've been having is, is being able to meet the demand because there is a huge demand and there's only so many of us and it's not like it's our, our day jobs, you know, uh, we do it in our spare time because we like it. Uh, so that's, you know, a little bit of a little stressful. Um, also it, if the focus is just on the beds, it takes away the focus from the other aspects of, you know, building the platform. Um, but I'm sure it'll all sort itself out in time as, as things progress, you know, as these things do. Yeah. And one of the benefits of the, of, of the pandemic too, is that people, some people become, became a bit aware of like uh, the issue of the food system and like how uh, we are in an Island here and we might get cut off. Uh, mm -hmm. the food system so um yeah that, that's one of the benefits like not 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 everyone just ran, ran to the supermarkets just to buy toilet paper <laughs> <laughs> some people actually thought like oh yeah like food food is like maybe this is an issue yes. <laughs> and it definitely there is i mean thankfully it hasn't it hasn't been terrible at least for, for most people but i remember at the the early days of uh the pandemic there was some real concern about food um mm -hmm. Because as you guys probably know, a lot of our food depends on, um, you know, underpaid foreign laborers. And if we can't get our underpaid foreign laborers, then we don't get our food harvested. Um, then that's, you know, I mean, there's, that's a whole, whole load of issues that we may not have the time to get into right now. But uh, the, our, our farm systems, even local ones were, were put under stress and also, you know, our logistics systems. So yeah, COVID sucks. But also, at the very least, it has shown so many um, weaknesses in our food system that need to be addressed. Great. Um, yeah, following so beautifully from that great answer is um, my question for you around what you would change about our food system if you could in an ideal dream world. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be one thing, but... Yeah. yeah, we have a list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were we were thinking we were talking about this uh, before we, we you know we got onto the this uh, to, to record this. 
Um, and our first thought was, well, what do we not want to change? Because oh. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot to change. Um, if we were to pick one, I think both of us agreed that we would change people's relationship to food or the relationship to land. <clears throat> because um, I think a big there's this disconnection from land, this disconnection from, from natural systems. The fact that we think of natural systems as something over there, right? Not something imminently right here. Um, as an extension of us. As an extension of us. Yeah. And yeah. part of us, um, that, that, that sort of awareness isn't well inculcated when you go to the, the store and you, you get your food and you get to have the same diet all year round. Uh, I'm not saying like, that's not, that's not fun, uh, and, you know, inconvenient, but, you know, it disconnects you from the land. And I think if people are connected to the land, then they're more aware. They, they, they can, they understand their dependencies, the interdependencies, their vulnerabilities. Um, and that's why I, I love getting more people to grow food because if you grow food, you start to slowly develop this relationship with the land. Because if, for example, you have a little soil plot and you got to take care of that soil plot because if you don't take care of that soil plot, it's not going to take care of you because it's not going to feed you. So you mm. need to feed it and in turn, it'll feed you. Um, so yeah, I think it's more this, it's not just the structural component. We could, we could talk for a long time about the structural components, but I think the big, the, the worst, you know, uh, effect of the structural uh, problems is this sort of more emotional or spiritual component. Um, mm. So I think that would be the biggest thing that I would want to change uh, about the food system. And I think that can be changed by getting more people to access to grow food and connect with land. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, your answer is it's really beautiful. And it also really um, reminds me of everything I've ever learned about sort of the Coast Salish people's like traditional Mm. relationship to this land that has existed since time immemorial and um it, it seems really like what you're saying is kind of we we could have a lot to learn um from those who have existed on this land before us and so i guess um what i'd like to ask you is if you see this work fitting within like a broader decolonial um framework absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. um I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that is thinking about this work in a decolonial lens is, is critical. Um, I'll talk more to the, to the, uh, the Quetlow food system in a second. Um, but I forget who it was, so I, I apologize, but I remember reading, uh, last semester, an indigenous scholar mm-hmm. and this indigenous scholar, uh, made a really apt point. She said, I think it was a woman. She said, indigenous peoples are not a colonized people. Settler society are colonized people. Mm. And you see all the problems in settler society that has come through this, you know, through generations of, you know, European colonization. And I mean, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I don't really like what I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, I think it's really, I mean, there are, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of issues with, well, I can't even get into the, the vicissitudes of, uh, you know, colonialism in Victoria uh, in a properly rich manner, but, one thing that is really great is that there are still indigenous peoples that we can learn from um, mm-hmm. that still have these relationships and these philosophies that, that we can, you know, yeah, that we can learn from. Um, and I definitely am interested. Actually, we were talking a little bit about this uh, again before we were recording. Um, you know, 
restoring, uh, re regenerating the the Quetlo, the, the, the local Camas, you know, Gary Oak Meadow uh, ecosystems and food systems. Mm -hmm. I think that would be really exciting. Yeah, it really comes down, comes back to like the whole issue of like our relationship with the land as well, mm -hmm. because like you know the settler mentality of like just like throwing monoculture everywhere and just forgetting about it and just like oh you just go to the store and and buy some food that you don't know where it came from or um, anyone who produced it. So it really has like goes back to like um, getting back to the land. Yeah, I mean, you look at the, 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 the John Locke's conception of property, and right there, implicit, you see the serious issues, the contradictions in the whole, the whole basis of our, you know, political economic system. Um, so I, I mean, we can talk about that if, you, if you're interested, but um, I definitely see this as, as a critical to decolonization. Yes, for Martha. sure. <laughs> Bringing me back to first year poli sci classes there. <laughs> um, okay, thank you so much for that answer. That was so well articulated and uh, I think bang on. So thanks for that. Um, thank you. I think I just want to um, go back to your point earlier about perhaps like a lack of capacity within your organization. So mm. um, this question is kind of twofold. First, um, what is the best way to reach out and um, ask you about like volunteer opportunities or positions within your organization? Um, and if there's any like gaps that you see as needing to be filled, maybe someone listening to this podcast uh, might have like the skills or the capacity available to help you there. Yeah. So in order to get in contact with us, uh, we have uh, an email account. It's curbsidefarmscoop at gmail.com. Uh, just, you know, curbside and then C-O-O-P at gmail.com. And we also have a, a Curbside Farms Facebook page. Um, I don't think we – I think that's sort of the, the best way that people can get in contact with us. Uh, the website would just direct you to the email, I think. Uh, the website's still being built, so I don't – It's I think it's just curbsidefarms.ca. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's still under construction. In terms of the capacities that, that you know, we would love to, to get from the community in terms of volunteers, is uh, the first one I'll say is uh, coders, actually. We need more coders because uh, mm. we only have, uh, I think it's Ian doing most of uh, the coding work, and there's a lot of work there to be done. Um, recently, we've, been, we've reached out to some different groups trying to get some volunteer coders um, working on the systems and the, and the website. But uh, apart from that... Um, we also need people, especially, you know, in the, as, as spring approaches, people that would be interested in, in doing some bed building, you know, on, on the weekend or a weekday. I mean, it depends on the schedules. I don't know exactly. But we need people that are interested in, yeah, learning how to make beds, learning how to uh, deliver beds, how to, to pick up pallets. Uh, I think not only bed building, but having people to deliver and install the beds would be really helpful because right now it's just, uh, it's mainly just me and my friend Cooney, um, sometimes Ian. Um, and, you know, there's only so much that we can do, especially if we're busy doing all these other things because everyone in the group, we, we all wear many hats. Um, we all do all sorts of different things. Um, and so I guess ideally we would have another we would love more people that are willing to wear many hats, you know, that are willing to 
to say like, this is where my strengths are. Um, I want to help you there, but also like, I want to learn about this um, because there's a lot to be done. Uh, so honestly, anyone uh, who's interested in, in helping out, there is a place for you. Uh, there's a place for everyone. Awesome. That sounds like a great opportunity. I might have to take you up on it. <laughs> I'd love that. <laughs> great. Um, you will be hearing from me. I'm just really inspired by this whole idea and how you're whatever um, kind of like passions you had kind of came to fruition in this like really great tangible way. Um, so I'm wondering if someone wanted to do something similar to this, where would they even start? Uh, maybe if we could talk a little bit about like the process of beginning this organization, like what inspired it and all that. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I can I can uh, speak to the the history, and then I can and mention maybe offer some advice. I don't know if I'm the best one to offer it, but I will do my best. Um, originally, uh, you might remember this, this Paula. Uh, we were doing we during the the 2008 November um, BC proportional representation referendum, uh, we got a bunch of people together and made a sort of ad hoc uh, fair vote UVic. Mm-hmm. And then once the the referendum was you know sadly defeated, uh, we had a, a group of people together still, and we were thinking like what you know what can we what can we do here with this this, this team? So then we decided to become the the Ceylon Research Group uh, in in respect of uh, the. Uh, uh, French poet Paul Ceylon, um, and we wanted to research uh, social issues and uh, create, you know, video content about uh, cooperative solutions. Uh, you know, using cooperatives to to help solve these problems. Um, but it turned out that a lot of students didn't really have the time and energy to put a whole lot of effort into making videos, and so uh, we were so we. Like we, were, we wanted to do a bunch of work on the, the BC housing crisis, but yeah, we just didn't have the, the time or energy. Um, so yeah, then we decided to make food go up. <laughs> um, I remember there's a, this one UVic clubs day and we were, we wanted to do some recruiting and we were thinking, what, what should we do? Cause we, we, we didn't really know where, where we were going. And I, it was already like in line with what we were or in step with what we were, you know, thinking about trying to do. I made an executive decision and I was like, I guess we're going to try and build a food co-op. Um, mm. And that was that. And uh, yeah. And then that's just what we've been doing ever since. <laughs> yeah. I think the thing too is like our focus was not just in food. It was like uh, on how um, the social systems are like, kind of flawed right now so mm-hmm. we had to decide okay what we were going to focus first and food was just something like that it was very central so it's something we can do you know yeah um because we live on land land is what you need to to you know grow food um mm-hmm. and yeah it was just and we kind of need it very and much we, yeah we need it yeah <laughs> uh and like i said earlier i think you know food is the basis of everything so i think if you're going to start anywhere might as well start at the foundation um, in terms of giving people advice, um, it's definitely, I, I could say it's been a learning process, uh, <laughs> uh, trying to figure this all out, but I would say just get started. 
Um, I know that's maybe not great advice, but it's <laughs> it's the truth. Well, mm-hmm. I would say locally, like uh, mm-hmm. you can just come and join us. Uh, but like if you're if, like for people who are somewhere else, like our long term plan is to create like a platform, a cooperative that we can like basically hand over to other communities so that they can like uh, recreate uh, the same one in mm-hmm. their own community basically yeah like like so the the website we're building for example and the, and all the systems associated with that uh, once we have that built our plan is not to like keep it to ourselves uh, we want to help other communities uh, do the same thing uh, right because it's I'm sure we live here, so that's why we're doing the work where we are right now. But I think this work needs to be done in many other places as well. You know, everyone needs to eat. And, yeah, so we are, if you want to set up something similar, you know, cooperatize local local growers, try to get in commercial growers and, and partner with them in some way, um, you know, you can contact us. Uh, we're still working on stuff, but in the future, we will try to help other people get set up. Um, but... Otherwise, uh, the BC Co-op Council, I think that's what it's called, uh, has uh, lots of great resources in terms of, you know, building cooperatives. And, you know, uh, we, they also offer um, uh, free cooperative consultant, consultancies for like about three hours or something, which is, you know, sufficient. Great. You're just trying to get your documents checked over and everything. So, uh, yeah, I would definitely yes, get started. Check with the BC Co-op Council. And uh, yeah, maybe contact us and see if we can help you because we, we would like to help you. Whether we can right now, I don't know. But in the future, we, we definitely want to help other people, other localities set up similar organizations. Mm, amazing. Thank you. Um, is there anything else you would like to add? Um, I guess one thing I'd like to say is uh, right now we're uh, doing this uh, this call from uh, the Dock Victoria. It's a co working space. Uh, I love this this space. Um, you know, if you can't afford, like for example, we can't afford to pay for uh, you know co working space. And so what I do actually is I you know I get them four hours every week of my labor just helping out in the office, and they get a. I get to a free full 24 seven membership. It's called the doc hand program. So, mm-hmm. you know, if there are any, any people looking for a working space in Victoria, come check it out. Uh, just a, a nice little plug. If you're looking mm-hmm. for free office space. That's very cool. Awesome. Um, so I will add the links to your social media accounts and everything that has really been mentioned in this episode in the description. Um, so listeners can go check all that out. Um, I don't have anything else for you. I would just like to say thank you so much again for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having us, Paula. Yeah, I'm so inspired by what you guys have created. And I'm sure the listeners will be too. <laughs> Terrific. Well, uh, yes, yeah, so this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for yeah. having us. Yeah, thank, thank you. you.